Hello, you lovely lot. It's time for episode 70 of Near Perfect Pitch. Loads of good stuff coming this week. Got lots and lots to share with you, but I can kick things off by saying that uh, this show is brought to you by Mary and Julian, even as we speak, and the Arnott's Iced Vovo and Arnott's Venetian Wafer, respectively. Flying the flag for top Aussie biscuits are even as we speak. They are going to be interviewed at the end of the programme, so you've got that to look forward to, in as much as we have the usual uh, weekly features, and I'll remind you of those. We've got obligatory fall R. We've got uh, a couple of cover versions, so you've not just got Cover Me Once, we've got Cover Me Twice. Got the weekly Peel track, which this week is uh, by the Wolfhounds. We've got Tinto of Time, we've got uh, Essential Wax, and uh, again, we've got the interview with uh, Mary and Julian from Even As We Speak at the end of the programme. Loads of new releases too to get to. And uh, amongst other things, we'll kick things off with this little ditty by Blind Mr Jones.
from their debut LP, released in 2015, entitled The Highest Point in Clifftown. That is Hooton Tennis Club with Standing Knees. And kicking the show off this week, we had some Blind Mr. Jones, the title track to their debut EP from 1992 on Cherry Red Records. Not a bad way to kick off the programme, methinks. Um, I need to remind you, nearperfectpitch.com is where you can point people, uh, the people that I'm imploring you to uh, bring on board as advocates, the Kool-Aid drinkers of Near Perfect Pitch. Please recommend the programme if you do enjoy it, which I hope you do if you are listening. It would be kind of futile if you weren't, really, wouldn't it? Um, Also, be aware that if you're not happy with uh, the way you're listening, it's being added to to new uh, podcast aggregators by the minute. So whether it's Stitcher or iHeartRadio or TuneIn or Google Play or iTunes or a litany of others, you have an abundance of choice. Here's some Trash Can Sinatras.
Well, I don't often play Brazilian shoegazy dream pop, but uh, I broke with tradition and did today. That is a, a band from Brazil uh, entitled Seus de Abril. And of course, uh, it uh, is pronounced completely incorrectly, but uh, you get the drift. And if you want to learn more about them, you can go to uh, seusdeabril.bandcamp.com uh, and that is C-E-U-S-D-E-A-B-R-I-L.bandcamp.com and that is a brand new single entitled, and again, excuse the accent or lack thereof, uh, O Amargo A Enfemme. Yeah? Got it? Anyway, you don't really need to, uh, to to know what it's called, do you, really? It's just a beautiful uh, beautiful journey there, six minutes plus, by uh, Sales to Abril. And before that, off their WLP Cake from 1990 on Go Discs, the mighty, mighty trash cans and archers with a circling of the circumference. Now it's time to hear some shack, uh, some shack that uh, appeared between albums. It's a single from 2000 that, uh, that was released between the wonderful HMS Fable and the majestic Here's Tom with the Weather, entitled Oscar. And I should also let you know, actually, before I play these tunes, what new releases you can expect to hear, because I did neglect to let you know at the beginning of the programme, didn't I? Um, there's a new record by uh, the Monochrome set, and it is in keeping with all their other material. It's just lovely. It's called uh, Amazing World. We'll be hearing something off that LP. Hookworms from my birthplace, from Leeds. Uh, Negative Space, we're going to hear. Uh, and uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful record, their new LP. What else we got new for you? Oh, some Red Faces uh, from Sheffield. And the uh, material at the end of the programme, actually, all going to be new-ish uh, by even as we speak. And what else have I got here? I'm just trying to scroll through here without taking up too much of your valuable time. I think that's it, actually, for, for new releases. That's uh, a decent selection, but uh, it was pretty quiet this week compared to the last, uh, the last few. Here's Shaq. <laughs>
typically immaculate. That's the Blue Nile with Tinseltown in the rain. That's their third single from 84 off their WLP across the rooftops. And uh, Glasgow's Paul Buchanan and uh, Robert Bell, they are the heartbeat of that band. And uh, those that love them absolutely adore them. And uh, those that don't know them just plain and simply don't know them. I think they're just one of those bands that if you do get to know them, you fall in love with them. So I hope that I've been instrumental in a few of you having not heard the Blue Nile before and now having fell in love with them. You have to thank me. No, actually, I have to thank Steve, because Steve from Dan Ander, uh, thank you, Steve, mate, for uh, for actually suggesting this a few days ago. And uh, on the odd occasion, the suggestions do manifest themselves as a play on the next programme. So uh, thank you, Steve, and thank you, the Blue Nile, for that uh, beauty, Tinseltown, in the rain. And that was preceded by Oscar, a non-LP single from 2000 on London Records, by Shaq. Probably in, in Those Who Know their opinions would say that uh, that uh, Mick Head is Britain's greatest living songwriter and uh, I'd be very very uh, well I'd entertain any argument to uh, to uh, to try and combat that uh, that theory uh, there are very very few people that can stand on the same pedestal as Mick Head next going to go back to 1980 on Virgin Records David Sylvian and his Japan
Outstanding. New material. By Hookworms. Off their new and third LP. Microshift. And that is negative space. Hookworms.bandcamp.com. Go and snag everything you can. Buy them on that particular URL. Japan, before that, from their fourth LP on Virgin Records. From 1980. And that was Swing that we heard. Now it's time for a hat trick, which means you get a break from my voice for three songs in a row, starting with this. Yeah. 
Well, I've got vivid and uh, forgettable memories from the Hacienda surrounding that song. I won't go into any more detail. That's the KLF. And that's the last train to Transcentral, a single pulled off their seventh LP from 1991. Uh, the LP concerned The White Room. And the second song in our hat trick, 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 trick was I Am Lono. They are, he is, they are from Nottingham. And that is uh, off their five EP released in 2015. And a tune entitled Why Everything is Made of Fives. Ponder that one, perhaps. And before that, of course, The Smiths. I haven't played the Smiths for a while, and uh, I was watching an episode of um, that rather mental Black Mirror, and uh, this song, uh, a classic, let's, let's face it, was, was played, and uh, it just impelled me to, to share it with you, because uh, every once in a while, it's worth cracking. Two minutes and 12 seconds of unmitigated pop brilliance, a non-LP single from 1986 on Rough Trade Records, The Smiths with Panic, and that has us 11 songs into the programme. It's now time for our first of two cover versions. This week we're going to go to uh, 1989. I'm going to hear Dave Lowry with his second band. Uh, um, actually, no, his first band, Camper Van Beethoven. I was thinking of Cracker, wasn't I? And uh, this release uh, was from 1989 off their Key Lime Pie LP, and they're having a bash at some status quo. Just a match stick. 
tremendous. That's Julian Cope off his third LP from 1986, entitled St. Julian, a single will shut your mouth. And before that, pictures of matchstick men. That's Camper Van Beethoven having a stab at some status quo. And that uh, is uh, appearing on their 1989 LP, Key Lime Pie, in case you didn't know. 13 songs in to uh, Near Perfect Pitch. And um, you've got lots to look forward to, actually. I think next up I'm going to play you two in a row by the fall. One will constitute our obligatory fall. Oh, this week is going to be our brother. And uh, there's a nifty cover version that uh, I came across this week uh, by the fall, which I will share with you straight after we hear Oh Brother, the 12-inch version thereof right now.
That's the fall. And that's from a, a live recording uh, taken in Leeds in uh, 2011. And I know no more of it than that. And uh, it's one of those songs after having heard it for the first time this week. Um, I really wish they'd have done that in the studio. It would have been another exemplary fall cover version. Again, that's Wells of London, a song that was uh, written by uh, Leroy Marinell, Waddy Watchtel and Warren Zevon, and performed by Zevon himself, of course. And uh, it's included on his 78 LP, Excitable Boy, and also features uh, Mick Fleetwood and uh, John McVean of Fleetwood Mac. Fancy that. And before that, we heard our obligatory fall oh, track for this week, a single from 84. We heard the 12-inch version of Oh Brother. Halfway through the programme, 15 songs in. Now it's time for a bit of Steve Albini and Shellac.
Magazine from a long, long time ago. Uh, magazine were formed by Howard Devoto after leaving uh, Buzzcocks. He wanted to get more artsy fartsy, and he did. And that's Magazine with their lead track to their WLP 1978's Real Life on Virgin Records. And that is uh, a track entitled Definitive Gaze. And before that, we had some. Uh, some DIY with Steve Albini uh, fronting his shellac outfit with an LP track of uh, 2000's 1000 Hertz LP. 17 songs into the programme now. It's time to hear something new by the, the wonderfully mellifluous The Monochrome Set. <laughs> Shout! 
Oh, 
the magnificent The Wooden Tops with a track called The Good Thing off their debut long player Giant from 1986 on Rough Trade Records. And we heard before that, we heard the Monochrome set off their brand new Maisie Word LP with Shallow. And go to the Monochrome set, uk.bandcamp.com and you'll be able to snag it amongst lots of other things because they've been quite active in the last few years. They didn't just disappear, you know. Keep keep in tune, keep keep in tune. And Bandcamp usually is the main repository for people who are appearing after years of being in absentia. And uh, I think before that, yeah, we had Magazine, then before that we had Shellac, didn't we? So we're, we're suitably up to date. Next up, off their debut LP entitled Earl Grey, released last August, here's Girl Ray with Cutting Shapes. I could go home tomorrow and see you home. See your hair and see your clothes and if you miss me too. All my friends say that's just one night to do.
You're waking in the morning Spent the night trying to bond with the moon She never loved you Just the whole white t-shirt Drop top, split screen, dream machine And alibi for love's young dream Whispers and a single from 2002 it is from his Music of the Spheres LP that was preceded by uh, 
a band that I'm listening to uh, a lot lately, Girl Ray. That's Cutting Shapes off their debut Earl Grey LP, released last August. And uh, you want to learn more about them? It's simples like girlray.bandcamp.com. Next, we're going to go back to 1981. I'm going to hear some Ultravox. Speed. 
That's the remarkable Big Star with Kangaroo, an Alex Chilton pen tune that appears on their third LP, uh, entitled, funnily enough, Third from 1978. And this particular song, Kangaroo, was made even more popular by uh, 4AD Records project uh, This Mortal Coil. They had uh, three albums over the course of... uh, the late 80s and 90s and the first one was entitled it'll end in tears and kangaroo was the first song on side a and before that we heard ultravox a single from 81 from their fifth lp rage in eden midge in his finest finest form let's get a bit more depressing shall we let's hear some nick cave <laughs>
That's a marvellous tune. That's Placebo from 1996 and Teenage Angst. Before I get into more about Placebo, I'll tell you what we heard. Before we heard this particular tune, we heard Bring It On. And in truth, it really wasn't that much of a depressing tune in, by, by Nick Cave standards, really, was it? That's off 19... Uh, sorry, it's not. It's off 2003's uh, Nocturama. That's his 12th LP as Nick Cave and The Bad Seeds. OK, let's go back to the song that we just heard. It's going to be uh, a track that's featured on our Essential Wax, which is, uh, in this case, Placebo's debut self-titled long player from 1996 on Caroline Records, uh, or Hut in the UK, depending on where you were. Recorded in Dublin and uh, produced by Brad Wood. It spawned five, yes, five singles. The one that we just heard, Teenage Angst, was the third single. It also spawned, in sequence, Come Home, 36 Degrees, Nancy Boy and Bruise Pristine, all over the course of about a year and a half. They really did milk this particular record. But it's a good one. It really is a good one. And uh, let's play one more song. Let's play uh, another song that uh, was a single. We're going to hear 36 Degrees. We were tight, but it falls apart as silver turns to blue. Waxing with the candlelight and burning just for you. Allocate your sentiment and stick it in a box. I've never been an extrovert, but I'm still breathing. Someone tried to do me.
us our Peel Session track this week that goes all the way back to December the 1st, 1988. That's Happy Shopper by the Wolfhounds. And that's preceded by 36 Degrees by Placebo, in turn preceded by Teenage Angst by Placebo, our essential wax, Placebo's debut self-titled affair from 1996. It has since been reissued uh, in 2006 for its 10th anniversary, which includes demos and uh, a DVD of live performances and lots of other uh, collectible goodies, uh, should you wish to uh, dispense with your first copy and get a better version. I hate when they do that, don't you? But you're impelled to buy it. Of course you are. Of course you flipping well are. Next up, from Sheffield, Red Faces. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Compact. Yes. Everything. Cracks. 
I am asking you. See, I need to catch a bus to Withinshaw Hospital. It's in the mayhem and confusion. I've lost all A wonderful job. It's a fabulous public service, and I think you deserve a ride. Cause bullets and guns and gas are cheap, and what with the price of instructions is 50 pounds for a couple of tickets to the riot policeman's ball. Hey, you, a riot policeman, will be adjusting this year? How about the roaring 20s? Or other than the rioting 80s? qualified genius of Frank Sidebottom. That uh, is a classic. I said, hey you, riot policeman. And before that, we heard from Sheffield, a single from last year, Red Faces. And you can find out more about what they're up to at redfacesmusic.com. It's the time of the programme where you're annoyed by this. <laughs> Tinterweb time, kids. That's what that means. That's what that racket entails. This week, let's point you to beingfrankmovie.com. Now, I just played some Frank Sidebottom, and uh, you probably know, if you listen to the programme, that I'm a, a massive, massive fan of uh, Chris Seavey and uh, Frank Sidebottom. There's a project out there which I've been involved with since uh, day one with the chap who is behind this particular endeavour, Steve Sullivan, uh, a filmmaker. He's putting together a, a, a movie, a film called Being Frank, the Chris Seavey story. And if you want to learn more about it, which I hope you do, go to www.beingfrankmovie.com and there you will find 
everything that pertains to this, some wonderful photographs and some uh, some blasts from the past and ways and means by which you can hop on this train as well. So that's this week's Tinto Up Time, Being Frank, the Chris Seavey story by going to beingfrankmovie.com and this is all down to the immensely hard work of the brilliant Steve Sullivan who uh, my hat my hat goes off to him uh, at any given time because he's working studiously trying to put this thing together and has been doing so for a long long time right where are we in program we're actually we're at the end of the program aren't we I mean that's it for the uh, for all the tunes save for three gems that we're going to hear by even as we speak starting with this
1993's feral pop frenzy that is even as we speak with the beauty and uh, as chosen by actually as chosen by mary must be something else we're gonna hear one more song by them before we get into the interview um the chat uh, i finally managed to connect uh, with mary and julian uh, by going back and forth and mary actually sent me this wonderful url whereby it uh, allows you to plug in your time and then it will tell you what time it is anywhere else on god's green earth it's it's a, it's a nifty little app and it allowed us to align because uh, night's morning and morning's night when it's ottawa and sydney and vice versa one more song uh, as chosen by the peeps themselves nothing much at all another beauty of 93's feral pop frenzy that's a tune entitled nothing much at all it's now time to hand over to someone who sounds remarkably like myself and uh, mary and julian even as we speak enjoy it finally we managed to arrange this i'm, I'm delighted <laughs> delighted to be talking to you after after all these weeks of, of going back and forth and it must actually yeah. must actually be very exciting times for you now because 1986 was a long time ago Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, a pregnant pause to, 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 to ponder the last the last thirty one years, but uh, you know, a small fish in, in in a big machine just seems like yesterday, and and it must in many ways seem the same to you, but and also in the same breath seem like an eternity ago. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, I, 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 I
It actually does seem a very long time ago. Julian was in other bands um, yeah. in Sydney at that, that point in time. So which bands were you in then, Julian? Uh, I was in Shrinking Violets and then Dutiful Daughters and then Even As We Speak, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you've got, you've got a pretty, pretty you got a pretty good CV, that's for sure. Now, <laughs> now, weren't you just abroad and just returned home, or am I got to get my wires crossed here? No, so um, 80, 86, it was really eighty five actually. Um, Matt had started the band, and then I kind of joined just to do some backing vocals on Small Fish in a Big Machine, and then uh, was invited to stay on after that. Um, so, you know, we did lots of gigs around Sydney at that time and then uh, we decided we should head to England like lots of Australian bands do. Uh, and the whole band was supposed to go at that point. There was, um, uh, what was his name? <laughs> there was Neil, who was drumming, but there was Obajan, who was um, the bass player. And we were all supposed to go, but at the last minute, Neil and Obajan pulled out. So Matt and I ended up going there for 88. Right. And when we got back... Um, that's when Anita and Rob joined, and um, and then slowly, slowly after that, Paul joined after that, and then Julian was doing such great work. I, I think that's how it worked, wasn't it, Julian? You were doing such amazing work on all of the recordings. We were like, you should be in the band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seeing as you're producing everything, you might as well. Yeah, I know we're recordings from the Sierra era onwards. So, yeah, whenever that was, that was 1990, 1991, I can't remember now. Um, yeah. Somewhere in that zone, I started working on the records, and then... I think when we when we've done, you know, by the time we've done Feral Pop Frenzy, uh, I was doing a lot of playing on the records anyway. So with, for that tour, which was what it, what it was, the beginning of 1993. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then uh, I was I joined the band from that point. So yeah, so that was. Um, but I think we'd all known each other from a long time before. I mean, the Sydney scene. I mean, like a lot of cities, um, it's you know, it's the indie scene is pretty much a community scene, and so. Um, everyone knows everyone and you share a lot of bills together and you're playing, I mean, we were on the same record label together before I was in the band, um, Phantom Records in Sydney. Um, you know, and if you look at even as we speak, uh, there are guest appearances from Alana Russack. She was in a band called The Hummingbirds that yes. also on Phantom Records. And also James Crookshank played um, slide guitar and he was in a band called The Cruel Sea and The Wittishans, um, which were another Sydney band at the time. So, you know, I see the indie scene and this whole stuff is pretty much it's very it's very community minded and you know and even if you look at now we're making records on a emotional response in the USA, I mean that's sort of come about because you know it's the we we did so much playing and touring with Boy Racer when we were on Sarah. Yes, yes. Um, we came we became friends and we were just we you spend so much time setting up the shows, sound checking, hanging out together, you know. Um, but it's, it is very much this whole sort of community thing, um, and uh, which is which is interesting because that is part of what indie, indie was back then. That still sits there in pockets. Yes. You know, indie became very commercialised, but ultimately it, um, you know, it had its roots in a, in quite a community-based approach to making music and scene-based approach, and people played on each other's records or helped each other out with each other's records. Um, you know, there was a lot of cooperation and a lot of, you know, there was as much cooperation as there was competition. Probably yes. more yeah. cooperation than there was competition, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's um, always it's always come across to, 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 to someone like me who's, who's 
knows nothing of, of the scene in terms of being around it is that Sydney's always seemed to have this cooperative uh, spirit with its uh, with its music scene. And in, in talking to Australian acts, it seems to be uh, a common thread whereby it seems to be more collaborative than than, than the polar opposite, whereby it's hyper competitive. Mm. I mean, I think um, as an older band now, it's kind of we're in a kind of a particular context, so. You know, we've been playing again in Sydney and what we've tended to do when we've played live, and it's really quite interesting, is that we have played shows with um, other bands of kind of our generation mm. who are active again. So whatever it was, last Saturday night, I think it was, we played a show at Oxford Art Factory um, and it was with local bands Ups and Downs and Scholars. Um, and they were bands that we played with in 89. Um, we have this sort of intention of this idea when we do headline shows, and we've tried a few times to, um, you know, put together bills with young acts who, you know, for example, there's a lot of quite really good young female, all-female acts in Sydney, Australia right now. Mm -hmm. um, and we've had a few shots at it, but it's quite hard to to kind of affect. Um, the cross-generational thing is really great if you can get it working, but it, but it's, but it is quite difficult. It's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of work. I mean, you, you've done an awfully good job of preaching to the choir, and um, I think I think the timely the timely arrival of uh, of Yellow Food was uh, was wonderful. I mean, personally, myself, to have that arrive. Um, it, uh, it it tidied me over, if that makes sense at all to you, and uh, and, it, and it's 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 a lovely listen to hear them uh, all together in, in in one compendium because you know your your production um, in terms of the, the sound that you attain it's 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 a different vibe with the, with the Made Avail recordings, and I was just wondering, um, are, are you schooled in audio engineering? Is it something that you picked up uh, along the way uh, whilst whilst learning uh, other aspects of the trade? Um, uh, without making too many outrageous claims, I think I was ahead of my time in terms of the way that musicians work now. So for me, um, production skills and audio skills were something that I saw as being a kind of a musical skill alongside being able to play guitar or do other things. Um, but that was like in, you know, 1985 or 1984. Mm. I mean, now you say that and most musicians go, yeah, so what? Everyone's got home studios and they all do stuff themselves. But in 1985 or 
you capture what happened, you do three or four takes and you choose the best one and just do a basic mix. And, and a lot of those records sound like that. And, you know, I mean, sometimes that's okay. Um, but, like, when you look at something like Feral Pop Frenzy, it's a kind of a wild adventure and, um, yes. you know, of, 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 well, it's sort of recording ingenuity because we didn't have the money to actually... Um, the only way we could experiment was to experiment by um, choosing a completely different recording approach for every song. So literally, you know, when you've got, I don't know what we had, you know, $3,000 and to record a full LP at a time when that would buy you three days in the studio maximum, um, then you would, what we did was that we did some songs, you know, where we used a, a, a good, you know, for want of a better word, professional studio. We did other songs that we recorded live in the kitchen. I was going know, to ask you about Anita's uh, Anita's Kitchen. Now, what what kind of vibe is Anita's Kitchen? Mary, did you want to? Mary, you want to pipe up on that one? Anita's, sorry, I was just making a copy, but we were just in Anita's Kitchen in a, a house, a, a terrace house in um, Piermont. Wasn't it, Julian? I think way down in Piermont, um, which is you know an industrial part of Sydney at the time, and that's why it was the was it the factory? Was that the factory really loud, or is it just the water heater? Is that what you said, Julian? Just beforehand. <laughs> We're setting up to record. That's going to record. We could hear this, you know, yeah, it's kind of a mechanical sound. But I think I said something like, "Is that the factory, or is it the water heater?" <laughs> uh, sounds a bit like a bit like eraser head, that drone in the background. Exactly, a razor head. It was like David Lynchian. Yeah. Well, it, it was actually, it was actually a little bit like that because I, it was very much on. The, it was on the, uh, you know, Anita's house um, was pretty much on the back of a large industrial, that large factory. It was a CSIRO, uh, wasn't it? No, CSR, sugar refinery. Yes. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sugar refinery, and, and so. Yeah, it was it, so you did get all and the sound of the docks and the machines and the and the whatever. So it was a little bit David Lynch. Um, yeah, yeah. And we were all sitting around Anita's. Um, <laughs> was it a lino? I, I should be careful. What yeah, it was a lino. Like, you know, yeah, like a lino uh, kitchen table with you know. Yeah, yeah. Covered chairs. Stuff. It was nice. I'm sure it was. I was just wondering about the acoustics. I mean, obviously, it's it's it's, it's a warm, a warm, engaging place, but I don't imagine it's conducive to the best acoustics in the world. No, no, and I think you know when we and Cripple Creek was kind of like too. So I mean, what we decided to do was to explore both ends of the spectrum. You know, from one hand, you know, we as I was saying before, we were in these swanky studios, but for a little a, a nanosecond of time. Yeah. Uh, but in the in there, but in those. Um, even in that tiny amount of time, he managed to do Falling Down the Stairs, Swimming Song, um, Straight as an Arrow, I think Drown. I think those were the four that we did that were in proper studio. Yeah. And then um, at the other end of the spectrum, like literally sitting in a, you know, the drummer's kitchen with a microphone on the kitchen table and just playing live, you know, the song, which is zero technology at all. Um, but then trying to make that work in the context of an album, which is, you know, that, that was the big risk, was just like how would it all come together as a whole because it was produced in such a, you know, um, you know ridiculously diverse fashion. But the, the, the stuff that we, the, the way that we were thinking about it at the time was just kind of like a movie. It's like you, 
you kind of go from one scene which is very lush and very, very detailed to another scene which is kind of bleak and very raw to another scene. So it was like each each song was kind of like a scene, and, and I think it kind of hangs together in that funny kind of way. Um, even though it was recorded in the most um, yeah bizarre kind of composite of approaches. I mean, it was just. Yeah. Well, well I, we were in your basement too at one point, Julian, for Spirit we of Progress, weren't we? I think I did the vocals for Spirit of Progress in the basement of your house. As you do. Yeah. As you do. Yeah. Now, now, then, uh, you know, now you say it and everyone goes, yeah, whatever, you know, like all yeah. recordings are going fast because all the musicians yeah, yeah. are recording at home. But, but back then it was like, oh, really? You know, you, did, you were recording at home as well. It's like, yeah, yeah, we were recording at home. So it was... You know, you, I think a lot of the, even as we speak stuff, you've got to kind of think of it back in context. A yeah. lot of the stuff that we were doing then was not what people used to do, but now lots of people do that stuff. Well, <laughs> at, at the time, I think that two, two, two of your contemporaries that were using Porter Studios to good effect were Jesus and Mary Chain were demoing all that stuff on Porter Studio. And, yeah. jo and Johnny Marr wrote the majority of the Smiths... Uh, Smith's music uh, Porter Studio, but uh, to my knowledge, I mean, as you as you've already alluded to, there weren't that many people uh, enveloping in, enveloping the portable aspect, and so in that regard, um, unwittingly or otherwise, you you were well ahead of the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think you know, um, a few of us worked in television at the time, so uh, Matthew, myself. Um, worked in sound and TV, and uh, um, Paul did. Paul uh, did too. All right. Paul, yeah, Paul worked in TV uh, more in a producer sense and uh, doing a bit of presenting and things. And um, so that kind of film and television thing was part of the the, the picture as well. I think it crept in somewhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's... Did you film clips? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it would be. Yeah, it would be impossible for it not to rear its head because it's innate. So it would, it would have to it would have to showcase itself somehow. Now, as, as I look through as I as I look through the back catalogue, and the, the glorious glorious uh, body of work that you left behind, uh, uh, well, not most notably, but uh, Sarah, of course. I mean, that's a, that's a massive massive part of the history. When you go when you when you retroactively look back and listen back to your earlier material or any material that uh, is, is not current um, how happy are you with it in terms of uh, uh, its longevity and, and, and how you think it stood the test of time well, well I mean I think all I can say is I love every single bit of it and I listen to it um, regularly good for you but I don't, know that, I don't know that everybody in the band feels that way well, you do. That's great. It's good. It's good to hear that because uh, I mean, it's it's an answer that can have a, an absolute myriad of uh, sorry question that can provoke a myriad of answers. I think it's I think it's lovely that you can go listen to your own stuff with a smile on your face, but some people just cannot do that. What What about you, Julie? Yeah. Can you do that? Um, look, um, it's interesting because because I joined the band at the Sarah period, I had no investment in the pre Sarah material at all from a personal perspective, other than as a listener. Yeah. Um, and, occasion and occasionally we play the songs live, so I guess I'm drawn into that part of the history through playing Blue Suburban Skies or something live. Um, I mean, I, I really, I, I like it all, but, it, uh, but I, I can see two kind of phases of the band, so the, you might call them as the sort of, 
you know, the pre-Sarah phase and then the post-Sarah phase. Yeah. Even though the early Sarah material used a lot of, um, you know, used material that had been created pre-Sarah. Yeah. There's a returning point in the band, and it's probably through the sort of mix of personalities changing, but also a, a natural development, I guess. Um, but, you know, so, so there's, a, there's a sort of a stylistic change. But to my mind, when I think about even as we speak, the thing that sort of resonates most for me is this commitment to the good pop song, you know? Yeah. And I, and I can hear the good pop song right from the earliest recordings right through to the last and go, that's a great pop song. You know, whether it was done with a drum machine and a whatever, you know, and nothing, or whether it was done with a full band and... Um, the songs kind of have endured. And so I enjoy it all like Mary. I mean, I think some members, you know, I think particularly like Matt, has more reservations about the early stuff. You know, there was a lot of discussion recently about re-releasing early stuff. And so, of course, it precipitated that whole discussion about exactly your question, you know, um, unleashing the... Um, the early stuff, and, and what you find is that the fans do it anyway. Yes. You know, so whether you, whether you release it, or not, I don't want to have a think about you. Was it case in point, wasn't it, Mary? Was that was well? That yeah, recently that got released on, and now I can't remember the name of the people who did that. Um, but yeah, I won't have to think about you, and it's and the whole album is called um, oh, that, and it, and it's and it's just a whole bunch of uh, mainly Sydney, mainly Australian bands. I think. Gosh, I can't even remember. Too much has been happening. Um, there was that one, and then um, you know, Egg Records put out all the early ones, and that did did really well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I think I think the fans. I mean, I think people. You know, I think my impression is that people like it all. My impression is that yeah. I mean, as Mary said, some of us like it all but can see it in different ways and others, you know, uh, are, are less enamoured of the old stuff. But, you know, I think that's, um, yeah, for me it gets easier as I get older to listen to older stuff. Yes, I, I can appreciate that. Like, when, I was, when I was young, I used to listen to stuff that I did five years ago and I go, oh, God, I wish I hadn't have done that or I wish I hadn't have done that. And then now that I'm older... Ah, it's a and process, it's isn't it? It's all a part of the... You go, yeah, it sounds very... I know in 89, but actually it's quite cool. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, t- time time is the great leveller. So is maturity to be able yeah. to retroactively look at look at stuff and see it in, in a different light. Now, yeah. you, I'm just wondering, because you, you've done... In, in the past, you, you've done, you've done a, a handful of cover versions. I'm just wondering... Um, each each one of you is is there something that you're dying to cover that you haven't got around to doing yet? We've been doing a pretty awesome version of "Don't Bring Me Down" by ELO live. That sounds <laughs> that sounds super. You you must record that. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's generally in the you know yeah, and we've been talking about ten cc. Oh, think, you know, yeah, because it's like these. That's another great thing about being older is. Being able to, <laughs> you just you, you just keep just keep convincing yourself of all the salient benefits of getting older. You just older? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good wisdom. <laughs> being less hung up, but it's yep. great. You can, you can confront all the the kind of pop cannons without a without a kind of a style fascist um, mindset. You know what I mean? I do. And, Johnny, so, so, Johnny Cash is Johnny Cash is the 
Johnny Cash has always been a big kind of influence, especially for Matt as well. And we used to do Johnny Cash covers. Oh, and as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, what's his name? Glenn Campbell. Yeah. yeah. You couple of old Campbell. country fans, you. Yeah. Who would have thought Matt's that? Matt, 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 Matt is very country. Your root, yeah. His roots, he's, he's a rootsy fella. Have you seen his, he's got a side project called Them Rusty Halos? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've only seen, he, he, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think he just does Matt, Matt Love music rather than Rusty Halos, but yeah. It's, 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 a, it's yeah. a nice diverse array, but, but you haven't really answered the question. I'm going to be a stickler here because, <laughs> because ELO Live is one thing, but uh, to, to, yeah. put, to put it down to, to, uh, to acetate is a whole different thing altogether. So I'm just just curious because you you have a very distinct sound and um, interpretive wise I always find it fascinating when uh, any given band ventures into the world of covers and, and what their what their reasoning is behind it and what they what they ultimately want to get out of it because there are some songs that just shouldn't be touched and approaching a cover a cover version is is it's not really a science but it's got to be approached in a way whereby if, if I can't add something to this don't bother exactly right. I think, I think that's the thing. I mean, there's two things. Firstly, there's a big difference between playing a cover live and actually recording it and releasing it. Yes. Um, because, you know, a lot of bands, you know, most bands I know, will throw a cover into their set from time to time just for the live shows. Yes. Um, but then there's a big line between throwing a cover into the live set and actually recording and releasing a cover. You're, you're right. I mean, that that's a sort of a, uh, a much more... You know, and and and, you, and it's and it's a, a high risk. It is absolutely yes. Because you know, there's nothing worse than a substandard cover of, of a great song. You know, um, so when you do a cover, you have to be very convinced, as you say, that you've got something that you can bring to it. Um, that you know, it may not surpass the original because a lot of the time, the originals they do a pretty good job. It's it gives you a different take on the original, or some some sort of dimension to the song can be opened up, or something can be said that already hasn't been said. You know exactly. Yeah. Um, so and I, I don't I don't think that we've I think because we have all got really diverse tastes outside of even as we speak, I think it would be really hard for us to find something that we'd all want to do. It's not like apart from Anita, Anita was the one who said she'd like to do ELO live. Um, but apart from that, we've never really talked about kind of covers for a long time, have we? And that we've only ever done one cover that we've, yeah, you know, released, and that was you know, in nineteen eighty-seven. So yeah, that was that was a long time ago. And and but you've done you've done you've done a bunch you know live since then. But the only one you really put down is is is, is the track in eighty-seven. And uh, I I I I loved that version. To be frank, it was it was it was wonderful. And that's 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 really why I asked because. In, in, in hearing you again, and uh, I'm going to be the first to admit that I hadn't listened to you for a long time just because, no disrespect, there's an awful lot of music and, and there's life and, and kids. But when, when, the, but when the Peel Sessions, when the Peel Sessions dropped, I, I was just, I was grinning from ear to ear because it was, it was a reminder that you'd never really gone away. And um, it, was, it was a lovely little stopgap and you've got, you've got uh, some, some fairly recent material uh, five six months ago. Now, now is what's the next uh, release that you've got slated, or am I being too presumptuous? Hey. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it. Really, I mean, 
Um, we're definitely doing some new recording, and we're not 100% with Stu. We're allowed to say that, I guess. I just um, we've, and actually, we're still not 100% sure ourselves what um, you know what form that's going to take. Um, we're only months away from. I mean, I I think I think within the next month, uh, one of the releases will be announced. But I um, let's just say that um, we've we've got a. Um, so we've, we've got um, efforts underway to make new music. So yes, we are recording more material. So we released an EP last year. You did. Um, in September. Yes. Um, we have recorded, we've made some progress on some more tracks. Um, and over the next, well, six months, there will be some new releases. Um, it will probably include a mix of brand new, you know, music, um, but also a little bit of reissue stuff. Um, so it's somewhere in that kind of mix. So what we're kind of guess trying to do is um, create new music, um, but then also sort of revisit some of the reissue stuff. Nice. Um, in a historical. So so you know because I think ultimately one of the things that's very challenging is. Um, you know, I'm going back to being older again. It's very hard not to do this interview from the point of view of being older. Um, but, you know, it's really hard to just pump out an album a year yeah. when you're 50, you know. And the reason being, because you've got children, you've got a job. I mean, when you're 25 or 23, you can just drop out of the world for months on end and, um, and work on music and record and all that sort of stuff. So... What's what's there? So there are a couple of dimensions to that. So so you have to approach it differently. So it does slow you down a little bit in terms of productivity. Um, but then the other thing is is that um, you know we don't all live in the same city, and so we have to have strategies for how we arrive at new music that are different from just always being around each other the whole time, which is how it might have been in our twenties. So we've done everything from living in the same city and and to living together, which was in the UK where we all lived in the same flat. Um, and it wasn't pretty. I can imagine. I can only imagine an Aussie an Aussie flat in London. Uh, I haven't seen too many pristine ones. Put it that way. Six of us. No, it was it wasn't that dirty, but there were six of us in a three bedroom flat. I've, I've, I've lived that life. I've lived that. I know exactly where you're coming from. In the late 80s, I used to live in... You know, you pass people in, in, in on the landing and you don't even know who they are. They know they're, they're paying an eighth of the rent. That's all you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But from a recording perspective, you're so in such close proximity that you're in constant dialogue about what's going on. Yeah. Um, so you can literally be up one night working on something and the next morning over breakfast and go, oh, I was working on something last night. Did you want to hear it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas when you're, you know, the contrast that to living in different cities, um, and also most of us in, in, in the same city, having families and jobs and lives that are separate, um, you know, you, you've got to sort of approach it a lot of different ways. So there's a lot of dropboxing of files. There's a lot of remote communication. There's, it's, it's not the immersive style of, you know, creative 
process just that you had when you're in your 20s. You know, it's just not. It's something different. It's you know? different. It so works and it suits your lifestyle. And it, and it very much, I mean, bands young and old who I interview on a weekly basis, be they my age and your age or uh, still yeah. wet, wet behind yeah. the ears, it's becoming uh, more and more commonplace to... to to approach the creative process, being in satellite positions, and I think that's just a, that's just a yeah. testament to how we're living our lives as human beings in, in the new yeah. age, really. No, no. It reminded me that record of the you know what it was the postal service, you know, the, or the album, the, 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 the project called the postal service because it was you know Jimmy Jimmy Tomborello and the other guy the two and the cab guy collaborating via the postal service. That's you it. Know, yeah. That. Marked a moment in the 2000s where the concept of doing an album but not being together and kicking it backwards and forwards became a sort of a, a thing. Yeah, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was talking to I was talking to a, an artist a few weeks ago, and we were also talking about um, in the 70s. I remember my father used to uh, play chess with a person in a different country, but each move was done by post. So again, so so again, could last. It was like 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 the Monty Python and you know Olympic hide and seek championships could just last forever. That's awesome. Yeah, That's yeah. Such a great, the, I just slow chess. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely <laughs> grinding to a halt. I wanted to ask you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be playing three songs to surround the interview, and I wondered if uh, the pair of you would like to choose one one song each, uh, curate one each, and I'll choose the other one. Your own material, of course. No one else's. This is, this is... Yeah, so no, 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 no. Um, oh. Yeah, I'll choose one of them. Yeah, There's no wrong answer. No, I know. Um, You're not Googling your own songs, are you? I am. <laughs> so, Julian, you're an amnesiac, is what you are. I was just looking at those beasts here of B sides I liked. Um, we all love musky, you know what? We must, all love musky something else. Something else is, is one that I really like that Matt sings. Yep. And then the other one that you sing, what's that one? Um, something happening. Um, oh, nothing much at all. Nothing much at all. That's it. Here I'll tell you what, if nothing else, if nothing else. Yeah, so. Must be um, something else. Must be something else is one of the B sides. Yep. And then nothing much at all is the other. Yep. But, I mean, I think they're both very pretty songs. I mean, they're very, very beautiful songs. Yes, indeed. Um, and, uh, they're only B sides, and they have they never really receive a lot of attention. Like they're not in the, you know. 15 most played even as we speak songs on Spotify or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think it's largely because they don't appear often on compilations or featured, but they just sit as B-sides in those Sarah 7 inches. Maybe, um, maybe then. Are these yeah. these two could possibly see uh, a re-release. I'm just, I'm just hinting at something here. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> Well, they don't really fall into that category because they were on the, they were Peel sessions. But 
you know, three songs, well, at least two songs that I that I personally really love um, and that I don't think anyone really gets to hear much is This Is My Dream and Everywhere I Go. Oh, actually, and Sud- Suddenly is one of my favourite songs, being these to speak songs of all time. But, yeah. That's so, interesting. Well, you give, you've given me some choice there. That's good. So you, 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 weren't, yeah. you weren't stumped at just two. Um, no, no. Now, is it... I forgot to ask you. Yeah, I forgot to ask you. So the the, the next releases are they going to be uh, through Stuart and Emotional Response? Yes. Yeah. Stuart was on the show a few months ago, actually, and he's oh, an, he? an absolute diamond of a man. We had a great laugh. Lovely fella. Yeah. Lovely, yeah, lovely. A long time. Yeah, yeah, and he's one of those people that uh, when, when, you know, when, if you've been in the industry like yourselves, there's two degrees of separation with Stuart. I mean, he, he over the course of time, he's selflessly helped countless people and he's just just one of those rare one of those rare chaps that uh, you just can't help but smile whenever whenever you hear about it. something he's doing he's just a top yeah. man yeah. um i've got i've got one last question sorry i've just got one last situation for us to work with someone who we've known for so long who we like so much yeah <laughs> and you can get free t-shirts as well so when that black and white one wears out you can hit hit him up for a new one um this is this this last question is the one i ask everybody but it's got absolutely sweet fanny adams to do with uh, with music um and being that you're antipodean it, it, it will have resonance but it mainly has resonance for, for for the british contingent but i ask people that you're around my place hypothetically after playing an amazingly successful gig and i'll stick the kettle on and i bring out the magic biscuit tin and you can choose any biscuit from god's green earth past present or not even yet concocted, what biscuit would you choose? Oh, um, um, Venetian slice. Fantastic, that's, that's a good one. And you went with your gut there, That was you didn't, you didn't pause or hesitate there. That's good, Venetian slice for Mary. <laughs> Julie, what I you got? Particular you, you better not be bloody Googling biscuits. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, but I would go the ice cream. <laughs> Could, could, again, could you repeat yourself? <laughs> what, what did you just? What, what biscuit was that? The iced bobo. Oh. As in, yeah, I-C-E-D, bobo, B-O-V-O. I think it might have been an Australian one invention. We had a big biscuit company called Arnott's Biscuits. Oh, uh, Arnott's, yes. Yeah, well, Arnott's yeah. is still going because yeah. my, my in-laws keep bringing Arnott's uh, stuff back. Who I makes, well, don't they yeah, make the, Arnott's. who makes the Tim yeah. Tams? Who's the Tim Tam company? Uh, that's uh, that's probably Arnott's. I think Maybe it's Arnott's, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's all good, it's all good. So I've got you down for a, an iced Vovo, and, and, and I must admit that you've, coconut. Coconut. you've... That's, you've, that's the deal with iced Vovo, it's got coconut on the top. Okay. Actually, actually, you know what, it wasn't Venetian size, it was an Arnott's Venetian. That was the one. So it wasn't called a Venetian size, it was just called Arnott's Venetian. Okay. Thing. Well, well you, you've, you've, you've given me some work to do, because I've got this very, very articulate infographic um, everyone I've interviewed is adjacent to the biscuit of their choice and I'll, I'll be forwarding that to you henceforth um, I'll also yeah, I'll be recording the show I'm sending you the photo of my one. Oh, brilliant thank you save me save me some save me some research so I'm, I'm gonna be recording the show on Sunday and I'll be in touch uh, in the next few days when it's uploaded and um, I'm just just delighted that we could uh, line this up because I've been wanting to share your story uh, for a long time with the listenership so it's lovely to connect, and thank you for finding time in the schedule. It must be what pushing yeah, noon, uh, pushing uh, lunchtime there now. 
Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for helping us. You know, we delivered the jungle. It's always the jungle, the jobs, the children, the everything. But thanks for being patient. <laughs> oh, not at all. I'm very much, I'm very much in the same boat. So. On that note, it's, it's been a pleasure, and, I, and I'll be in touch in the next few days, and uh, maybe we can uh, have another chat in, in a few months to, to, to map the progress and, uh, and, and the new release that's forthcoming. That'd be great. Thank you. Smashing. Thank you. All the best, guys. I'll talk to you later. Well, that was an awful lot of fun. Thank you, Mary and Julian. Evenaswespeak.com, Facebook.com, Evenaswespeakband are the places that you can frequent to know exactly what's going on. There are other URLs, of course, but uh, they're the main two. One more song to get to. We're going to hear another track off the recently released Yellow Food Peel Sessions LP that I've played some songs from in, uh, in past weeks. We're going to hear Suddenly. <laughs>
Well, that's it for another episode of Near Perfect Pitch. Episode 70 is well and truly in Cannes. Thanks to you for listening, you lovely, lovely people. Do spread the word to those who've got similar impeccable musical taste. My thanks go to Mary and Julian from Even As We Speak. And I'll be back next week for some more antics uh, on episode 71. And I will try, try and find the time to get that full special sorted out. All the best. Ciao.